Good morning. Welcome to episode six of Seize the Day with Jim and Winston. We're here to talk to you about a few new ideas that have come up in our last month. And it's going to also touch on a, a few things we've already had discussion on. So uh, take it away, Winston, and let's share our topics with our listeners. Yeah, Jim, can't believe it's already Wednesday, March the 26th, uh, 2016. We're really rolling now. We're half a year in, aren't we? <laughs> oh, I'm halfway to our goal, Winston. Exactly, exactly. We wanted to seize the year with you guys out there, and I um, uh, wanted to sort of um, bounce some ideas off. And Jim and I were talking about what we we're going to talk today about. And then um, Jim, you had two topics you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I just uh, encountered a TED talk from uh, Regina Hartley. Could be Regina, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, and she presents an idea on uh, hiring in the review of resumes and why the best hire might not have the perfect resume. And we'll talk about you know what she presents there, um, you know, in finding the right person. Right, and, and then you also had something kind of tied in with that one that you wanted to talk about as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, is there a difference between? Well, I mean. Work is work, but is there a difference between work and career and and that sort of thing? How to maybe look at that? Um, and then, you know, through those things, there's also a couple ideas that you have that, that tie back into those as well. Yeah, uh, one that kind of ties in nicely with work versus career is the idea of balance. Uh, balance in your life, um, balance is an analogy of how we approach things. And um, I thought that would be a nice tie-in because... Uh, um, I was coming across um, some situations where I realized just uh, how symbolic having a good balance in your life is, is you know, and and then tying in with that, um, the idea of beauty, what we perceive as beauty, and um, uh, the purpose of creating beauty, uh, which could turn into uh, a discussion about uh, why we do things in our lives, and if we, we go and try to do a purpose-driven um approach or we create beauty for the sake of beauty you know so those are kind of our four topics of the day that Jim and I are going to talk about today and um, thanks for joining us for another episode of Seize the Day with Jim and Winston and uh, I guess we'll take it away and start with our first topic there Jim and let's talk about the hiring discussion <laughs> <laughs> yeah I you know every once in a while I just go through the the TED talk list of items and and uh, if something seems to grab me, you know, I'll, I'll pull it up and, and watch it and listen listen to it, enjoy it. You know, it's, it's as much entertainment as it is learning. Right. So, um, you know, I stumbled across uh, this resume one and thought, well, what the heck, I'll give it a give it a go. I think it was about 13 minutes long. And uh, Ms. Hartley presents quite an interesting uh, view of the world and or, or view. She's a... Firstly, you know, she's a human resources manager and she came up and, you know, and presents two um, sort of categories of resumes and, and one category is someone who is somewhat destined for success because they've, they've done well in their education, uh, you know, through their early years and, and um, you know, they come from a background where there's no doubt that university is part of where they're going and they do well in university at a very good school and then they enter the work world and, and you know, so that, that um, very well thought of education path and success within that path 
is presented and referred to as a silver spoon. Right. And, and then the other side of that is the person who maybe takes, um, oh, you know, we could call it a technical school path or, a, you know, less lesser thought of university, you know, um, type of situation, you know, in the in below the 49th, that's called, you know, a state school type of an example. Um, and that person has lots of jobs within their resume. And that was, you know, more often than not because of necessity to fund their education. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some people perceive all those jobs as being maybe something of a job hopping, not really knowing where they are in the world or that sort of thing. But, um, you know, Miss Hartley, you know, encourages the people who are in these situations to look a little deeper into each resume and and um, the 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 second person they're referred to as a scrapper. So she she actually shows a silver spoon and a boxing glove as the two two types of of um, options, so to speak. And she came from the scrapper's background and she readily admits that, but she, you know, she's a proponent for that scrapper because of the experience and the things they've done and maybe taken some harder challenges and, and, and how they've gotten to, um, have the skills to be able to apply for the job. Right. Right. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, basically encouraging people to look a little bit between the lines on the resume. And, and figure out what the job needs. You know, she gives an example of somebody who was hired who went through the silver spoon path and they were, they were asked to spend some time in the manual labor side to be able to learn what the business is about and that sort of thing. And the person eventually quit because that wasn't what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So there was some, you know, some desire to provide somebody with experience and that experience wasn't suiting with the vision of the person who had applied for the job. Oh, I see. That's pretty yeah. deep. You know, when I read the um, uh, the synopsis of that talk, which was um, uh, so so that our viewers or or listeners know, it's the topic was called "Why the Best Hire Might Not Have the Perfect Resume," and so that was filmed back in September two thousand fifteen. It's about ten minutes long, roughly, and I, I read on the description that she. Uh, uh, suggests that choose the under underestimated contender whose secret weapons are passion and purpose. So she says, hire the scrapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I think um, the, the the scrapper brings a lot more experiential learning to the equation. Yeah, and I think sometimes the, the marketplace discounts that and overlooks that as a secondary. Um, uh, value, but I, I would say it's at least equivalent, if not more, in some cases. Like depending on the job, let's let's put it in perspective. You're a hands-on person, and your job requires a lot of hands-on um, perspective. Then those values of being a scrapper would be even more important. Whereas if you're in an environment where it's you know more purely intellectual, and in an environment where the value system is higher on the academic side of it, then you know maybe there would be more weighted on the pure academic side. For example, if you're going to be a university professor, I mean, it'd be great if you're a scrapper to add the perspective, but fitting within that black box of academia, usually you need to have the credentials to kind of hold your own weight to get the grants and the and the support, right? Yeah, and, and I think part of her message is, and it's very covert in what she says, but, you know, you've got to look at what the job is and, and fill the needs of the job and don't be... Um, don't be chasing the uh, 
the resume from Harvard. You know, exactly. Yeah. Y- y- your your role is to is to put the right person in the right place. Right. Right. And then you know, I believe there's lots of cases where you know the underdog is the one to hire. It's hard to find that that diamond in the rough sometimes. But you know, even in sports, the perfect example. Like how many people didn't count on Michael Jordan to make it? You know. Yeah, and um, you know, there's a another um, guy way back in the '90s who, or sorry, late '80s who played for the Calgary Flames and ended up winning a cup with them. Um, his last name escapes him right now, Jamie something, and and he had been he had been basically through the traditional selection of the draft and all that, discounted as a potential hockey professional hockey player and he went to Ohio State on a baseball scholarship mm-hmm. and tried out for the hockey team he'd been a junior B hockey player in the Toronto area and tried out for the the hockey team and and made the hockey team right so you know he ended up going on to be you know have a fairly significant NHL career you know winning the Stanley Cup and all that and I just think it took because you know it took him maybe a little bit longer on the growth and development side. Maybe his growth spurt came a little bit later than what you know major junior hockey players had and all that sort of stuff. So you know, there's a there's a fine example of you know continue to look at people a little bit older than just the 19 or 20 year old coming out of junior hockey. Right. So you know, maybe there's a resume tied to that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's it's interesting. You know. Um, when we think about like who's qualified for what, it's it's sort of a art, not a science. Because I remember, um, you know, with my background with running a business and um, also, you know, having my recruiting background, um, you you think that going through the number of resumes and you t- sort of try to find a match between your requirements and then um, uh, and the person's experience is the easiest way to kind of find the right person. But it doesn't always work out that way. I remember an experience where. I went through a hundred resumes, narrowed it down to three people, and then when I interviewed all three, part of my gut was telling me at one time to hire the the young fellow with less experience, but just seemed to have that energy, you know. And in that scenario, I went with the um, the safer bet, which had the experience, and to say to say it lightly, it failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> so that that threw me off though, because if we look at the that scrapper, I kind of thought that. The person I hired had a bit of more diverse background, but what I didn't realize at the time is that when you're hiring a person uh, to fit a role, especially an independent role, there's some intangibles that you got to measure. You've got to find out if that person is a self-starter, not only experienced in terms of having been in the workforce, but whether or not they've shown activities or um, demonstrated that they can uh, motivate themselves without being pumped up every day, right? Yeah. And I had a really uh, couple of, couple of stories that that really tie into this that have just come to mind, and it's great we have our conversation because, you know, we hit these forks in the road or opportunities to to uh, to elaborate or deepen things. Mm-hmm. So you know, one one coworker of mine in in the last job I was in, mm-hmm. he um, he was uh, you know about to graduate from. Um, I think it was the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon with an right. with a agriculture degree, and a classmate of his and him both had an interview with the with the same for the same job. Mm. So um, I think they even traveled over together. So 
the, you know, the, the guy who was interviewing them said, okay, well, let's meet for lunch before the interviews. So they went, the three of them had lunch together. They spent about an hour, maybe even an hour and a half. And um, they said, okay, great. What time are our interviews? And the guy said, that was your interview. Really? Wow. Because it was, it, you know, you needed the agricultural base knowledge, but it was somewhat of a sales, you know, the, the job was a sales-based job. Mm. So, you know, the guy basically went to lunch to see how they related to people. Right. Took him, and, and, and from that lunch is how he made his decision. And he gave the job to, uh, to the friend of mine. Obviously, he was maybe more personable in, in that type of setting or, or, you know, he was more comfortable in that type of setting. I, you know, I don't know how you want to term it, but uh, yeah. you know, very, very, very different interview. Um, obviously, the resumes were probably quite similar, you know, about, you know, about to graduate it from agriculture and, and that sort of thing. Right. And then an, another instance was with, with uh, in a, from a different workplace, uh, a friend of mine had, uh, you know, um, gained some academic uh, skills in mechanical engineering um, as a person who had entered the arm, or armed forces and, you know, they, they pick up the tab and pay you while you go to school. And then in return, you give him so many years afterwards. Right. So, you know, he had concluded that and, and uh, they'd come out west and he was in Calgary and, and he, you know, he, he had applied for this job in a hydraulics uh, manufacturing setting. And uh, the guy called him in for an interview and, and the guy basically said to him, um, I see you say you've had design experience and, you know, um, assembly experience in, in this area of hydraulics and you've got 30 days to prove yourself. The job's yours. Mm. So, you know, both very, very different from what we see today in, in interview techniques, but I think both very valid too. Right. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. Um, you know, so many times we, we try to match um, the qualifications of somebody to uh, a target job and um, it doesn't pan out the same way it's, it's intended to be. You go with your best gut, but sometimes you just have to go and look outside the, the box and look at the passion and the purpose of the, the person trying to, to get that job so that the underdog does get a chance sometimes. Because, I mean, once in a while it's going to surprise you with how well it works out, you know. But more importantly, um, it'll get you to think outside your box to look for the right match rather than just looking for the safe pick, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, the, the safe pick is always a very easy one. Mm. And, and I think maybe the safe pick is the least amount of work. Right. Whereas, you know, digging a little deeper requires that, that the person doing the hiring understands, um, the job being filled, which I don't know if human resources people always get that because they're a whole different skill set than what the person being hired for is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, 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 I completely agree that uh, the underdog, given the opportunity to show, you know, what their learning has been and, or what their skill set or, or what intangibles and passions they bring is, is a, is a great uh, opportunity given that opportunity. Yeah, I'm with you, man. So when I think about um, what you're talking about there, 
let's let's move on to like work versus career then how that ties in and we kind of talked about the idea about um, how it's important to uh, look outside the regular box and try to hire the scrapper sometimes and that just basically evens the playing field so that we're giving the underdog and also the people that with um, just the right passion and purpose a chance to succeed rather than just looking at the, the safe pedigree you know yeah um you know the whole work versus career thing the you know i i think the the career thing has a bit of a bit of an academic connotation to it right um you know if you've gone and taken a little bit of schooling and then you or a lot mm. some form of of training that you choose to enter mm. and and then you you know you're you're sort of trying to enter that path right that of of where your training has been right right and uh you know, sometimes on the work scene, you know, people just want to get a job that, that provides them with the, or lets them fulfill the role of provider right? for themselves, for their families, you know, however that role has to be uh, fulfilled at whatever time in their life. Right, right. So, uh, you know, there's, there's maybe not a lot of um, satisfaction in the in the whole work versus career thing mm -hmm. but you know having spent some time in uh, you know a couple stints working in a sawmill and a couple stints working in an underground mine and 13 and a half years in a pulp mill I've encountered lots of people who you know accept that role of provider and, and go and do that job that really isn't what you'd call a career job but they're meeting their balance or fulfilling you know some of some of the other aspects in their life because they're a musician or an artist or an athlete or, you know, any number of those things outside their job. Mm -hmm. and, and I think sometimes the work gives them the opportunity to do that because those type of jobs don't, you, you don't usually pack a cell phone around dealing with issues that crop up outside of the normal work times. Where in in today's society, that career is there's an expectation of accessibility, right? That um, you know, should something crop up, you're you're expected to to you know meet the need of of solving whatever that thing that crops up is. And you know, and and the the whole work thing is um, you know, it's it's kind of a both things can be a trading time for hours situation. Right, right. But the career thing may be more um, somewhat of a stepping stone thing where the expectation of the remuneration changes with each step along that path that you take. Whereas the work side, it's, you know, it's predefined mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, when we think about juggling um, work and career, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because like well I think we've all taken some jobs where we consider it work rather than building our career but yet somehow in that building block of, of trying to find the stepping stones to get us to where we want to go um, we have to go through those struggles to sort of appreciate when we actually reach the point where we have a career uh, or something that we find fulfilling right and it was funny my daughter was saying to me um, a while back he goes dad it's interesting you know everybody uh, when they meet me, they ask me, oh, what do you want to do or what do you want to be? 
and you know she's 17 so then she's uh, thinking like you know I know so many people in their 30s that still don't understand or know what they want it's funny that they asked me with the expectation that I would know at 17 what I'd want to do <laughs> well, <clears throat> well I'm almost 58 I still don't know the answer to that question <laughs> <laughs> which is okay yeah that's, it's a you know, lifelong journey right yeah you know, I, I'm with you. You don't really know what you want to do sometimes until you do it. And, um, you know, if, if it takes that long to find what your passion is, so be it. But just never stop looking, you know? Well, maybe the passion is outside the work. It could be, yeah. And that maybe the work is just a, a means to an end so that it yeah. gets you to what you're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, there's certain realities in life and one is, uh, one is earning a living. Yeah, and paying the bills so that you can yeah. get to your passions too, right? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll share with you something interesting. Um, when I was thinking about, uh, you know, your secondary topic about work versus career, my, my first thought when I think about that is automatically to like a, a focused kind of like get it done tone, right? I'm thinking like, okay, got to get serious now. It's all about work. It's all about career. <laughs> but the thing is that I, I wonder if, if that's ingrained in us or is that um, uh, driven that way because of uh, the kind of like the um, the way that we've been brought up to uh, make a living rather than make a life. Yeah, yeah I kind of think there's a societal expectation that um, that you'll go out there and, and on, on, the, on the side of where you take some education to move on, you know, like it's know what you want to do by 18, get into school, do it, right? And then go climb that ladder um, from the other perspective where maybe it's it's a, a work perspective, you know, find a good job that pays, you know, well enough, allowing you to be the provider. And, and both of those then kind of hit a commonality where, you know, purchase of house, the creation of family, all those things that, that happen along there. And that, that's pretty... Um, advert, I wouldn't say advertised, but societal expectation of people. Sorry about that, Winston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no worries. It's good to see you're busy balancing work and career. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, Sorry. That's, how, that's how real the podcast is. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't work, thank God. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, I, you know, I, I encourage, you know, I, I kind of meet a few young folks um, and uh, through being a bit of a rugby coach and stuff, not so much the last couple of years, but, you know, I've encouraged them to not be afraid to try something if they don't know what they want to do. Give it a go. Right. You know, maybe through the process of elimination, you'll learn there's a few things you don't want to do, but something might spark in you. And I don't think there's any great problem to exploration in your late teens and 20s to, to maybe figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you, man. You, you don't really know sometimes, um, you know, where you're going with things until you give it a chance. Yeah, and, and um, some people just aren't suited to, you know, no matter uh, how good they are academically, they're just not suited to be in uh, 
put in an academic or in a, in a situation where their work is more on the sedentary side than it is on the physical side. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Some, some really bright people are just not going to fill in on that. So, you know, becoming things like machinists or millwrights or carpenters or electricians or any of those things is, is more what's going to fulfill them. And those are great trades. And I've seen people just do unbelievable things because they, they, they do really well in, in their trade and it, it's a niche that they should be in and they perform, you know, like, you know, I'm thinking of a, of our nephew who's an electrician who's just outperforms engineers on a regular basis because of his understanding of what's what's going on in a project. Right, right. That's cool. I mean, that's what kind of winds into our next little talk about balance. Um, you know, when you try to look at work versus career, uh, it came to mind when I was thinking about uh, balance. And uh, uh, the other day we were playing this uh, I, game called Jenga, which some of you guys in the, in the audience may have played as well. And um, it's where you take a block from a, a stack of uh, a stack of piles of little pieces of wood and then you take the, the, a stack from the middle, like a, a block from the middle and put it on top and until that balance sways and the next player eventually pulls the wrong block or tries to balance and the whole thing tumbles over. <laughs> So I'm not sure how, how many of you out there have played that game, but it's a pretty old game. You can you can Google that up if you haven't played Jenga. It's J E N J A or J E N G A. But it's basically a, a game of blocks where you take a block and you put it on top. And I thought it was kind of symbolic or analogous to how we kind of juggle our life, where we um, where we try to you know make little substitutions, little tweaks, little improvements, and then we see how our life balances. Um, I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, your regular routine every week is to go to work, and then on the weekends you go play a game of badminton or tennis, and then Sunday's your relaxation day to start the whole rigmarole again on Monday. Now, sounds like a regular routine. That's your balance. But let's say we throw a couple of wrenches in that and say, well, okay, now um, uh, you found that you have a physical ailment that requires you to go to, to a physiotherapist three times a week on top of going to work. And then um, you suddenly take on a, a home construction project to do some renovations. That takes up your Sunday. Maybe minor changes, but it takes a little bit of rebalancing to be able to balance those competing demands. Now your routine is no longer as straightforward and simple, and you're trying to juggle multiple things, which may throw off your balance for the week. Um, maybe in a short term not a major significant change, but in the long term, you could sort of see how that could throw off your balance and requires readjustment. Yeah, and sometimes that imbalance comes from outside unforeseen sources. You know, yeah. It could be um, a close family member's health. It could be uh, an employer's desire to change what your daily routine is or, or you know, something as simple as a shift schedule. Right. They, they want you to work afternoon shift now, so mm -hmm. now everything needs to be, or you're working Tuesday to Saturday, so, you know, badminton's going to have to be Sunday, and, you know, Monday is, is your rest day or whatever. You know, just those sorts of things that, that we, none of us have any control over. Right, right. So, you know, I'm just thinking about how we, how we do that, and as I was playing the game, I was realizing that 
it doesn't take much to throw off someone's balance. And at the same rate, um, some of that balance comes from knowing when to say no and when to take on responsibility and when to delegate and when to decide that, you know, that this extra task or thing that you need to do, if it's optional, um, you have to really kind of look at in your life and take it into perspective of what's most important in your, in your life so that you don't take on more than you can handle um, or else if you're going to take on bigger projects to get the assistance you need from other sources or um, tweak other things so that you're not running burning the candle at both ends, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the whole time component in, in things, you, know, you, you may have the capability of doing everything that you want to do within your life, but you may not have the time to do it. So recognizing when to outsource some of what you need done. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the whole um, renovation at home is one of those things. Right, right. I'm with you on that. Um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, just, you know, in general, uh, even when we do our podcast, it's, it's a bit of a juggle, but we, we always dedicate that time to it because we feel like this is something we're doing um, because it becomes a little bit of a bookmark every month of uh, where we are in our lives. Yeah, you know, and I've been I've been thinking a great deal about balance lately. Um, between, do I want to work and fulfill the provider role, or do I want a career type job? Right. So you know, I'm kind of on the precipice of of leaning to the work side because mm. of the um, balance I'll gain. In, through being able to have time to write because I find that a little bit challenging right now because I'm in the career side right now Mm -hmm. and the career side also does that external thing in your own time or, you know, whatever the expectation of accessibility, whereas, you know, the work option I'm considering doesn't have that expectation of accessibility. Right. Right. So, um, you know that that's just a I'm 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 kind of sitting on a on the fulcrum right now. <laughs> what yes. side do I step on? <laughs> I know, and that's gonna be one of those. Uh, it's funny we're at every stage of our lives we we come across these crossroads and we make these choices, but you never really know which is that pivotal choice. And I used to think when I was younger that um, you know no matter where you are intended to go, you'll end up landing there if that's the path you're supposed to take. But the interesting thing is that um, it's not all about um, uh, you know choosing the right path or which path you take because you know if you really look at it is it really a wrong path I mean there's paths where you could make decisions that are a little bit um, silly or not well thought out that's one path but you know, ultimately if you're going forward with the right intention or your life purpose then I think you're going to find your way like you may take a couple of detours along the way but you know, if you have a strong enough intention and purpose, I think you will find the right uh, synergy if you keep working at it, you know? I'm glad you brought that up, Winston, because I couldn't agree with you more. Um, if you choose the fork in the road, yeah, the, the certain path you take, if you spend an inordinate amount of time wondering whether that was right or not, mm-hmm. Instead of saying, I've chosen this and I'm going to make the best of it, mm-hmm. I, I, I think intention as you move, as you, after choice is, is huge. 
and um, I, I, I think you you know to be successful and happy with the choice you take, you have to take the right attitude. I'm going to make the best of of the choice I've taken. Right, right, right. You know, I think that's I think it's um, that goes back to our it comes full circle to our idea about the scrapper. You know, the scrapper makes the best choices he can make based on what they have. You know. And the and the need at the time, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and having that 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 kind of purpose and um, resourcefulness, I should say, right, it means that everybody can be a scrapper if they want to be. Like even if you you do grow up with the silver spoon, there's going to be times in those roads where things aren't always going to go your way. So I don't think being a scrapper needs to be stereotyped that you know you have to be coming from something where you're less privileged or anything. You you can even be a scrapper from the standpoint of being able to be mobile or nimble enough to, to switch gears when you you need to be, you know? Excellent point. I think we're all going to have that component in our life at some point because challenge is going to be put in front of us. Right. And how we deal with that challenge is, is going to be huge in, in uh, learning the skills that the, the scrapper gains, that the silver spoon didn't have the opportunity to be exposed to. Right. So there could be a new category, a combination of the silver spoon and the scrapper. So um, <laughs> someone yeah. with a boxing glove and a silver spoon in the backpack, you know? <laughs> that both come from different forks. Right. Be because the, the, the scrapper may, at some point to, to move further along, may decide, I need more education and decides while they're in their job to do some some, you know, uh, correspondence or, uh, you know, self-based study mm -hmm. to, to gain more of what the silver spoon has. Exactly. It's like, um, you know, basically, you know, we're talking about Wayne Dyer before about sharpening the saw and, uh, and uh, the whole idea of, um, you know, um, the Stephen Covey and stuff too, right? I mean, uh, not only uh, working harder, but working smarter. Yeah, and you know, I'll even even go further than and you know, a ten minute presentation is what a ten minute presentation is. But you know, I've I've talked to a, a vice president of a company not too long ago, and his opinion in hiring people was: we hire for fit. We can teach people to do anything we need them to do. Right. So you know, they're looking for a person who's maybe a bit more open as opposed to someone who's maybe more skilled. Ah, I like that. So um, knowing that you can, as an employer, mentor and teach somebody into, into getting them to where they'd like to be and they fit into the organization mm -hmm. better, you know, that's something that I don't know how many people really think of when they hire somebody. You know, he's, he's got a great resume. He's done the work at a really high level. But what type of personality is are we putting this person into because some folks aren't going to mesh well. Right. And, and it's, it's not good, bad, or indifferent. It's what it is. Right. Yeah, it's all about, um, you know, trying to seek that um, balance between, um, you know, work, life, um, health, wealth. And anytime it's out of skew or out of... Uh, uh, you know, out of balance, you're going to notice that things are going to change, um, and it could work. In, it could work for your benefit for a short term, 
like you know let's say like you go on a health kick and uh, you put work aside and you think well you know what I've gone through an illness uh, work is is one thing but health is the other and so you skew your life so that everything's in one direction but um, uh, that could work to your detriment in the long run because if you only fill up one bucket in your life you're gonna find very quickly that um, the other ones are gonna run dry yeah yeah I'm gonna use a little bit of what I I've said to quite a few people mm -hmm. I've been into um, you know more than my share of workplaces and and you know I've always had the opportunity to make friends through work right but I do not build my social network on my workplace right cool because that puts a, a set of blinders within your um, life, essentially. You're not seeing a whole lot of things outside of that. That's why, that's why you know, I think over the years I've enjoyed rugby so much because you, you meet people who come from such a diverse background and, and you know, some are in business, some are hardcore union people, some are, are students, you know, and, and all these different people come and essentially, you know, 98% of the time that baggage is left in the change room and you go out for the common uh, goal or, or enjoyment or desire or balance of, of being in rugby. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, that's, that's important to, to know where the boundaries are in, in any relationship that you have, right? Yeah, true enough, but I don't mind debating anybody on the merits of a variety of different things, you know. Mm -hmm. We we had a conversation not too long ago that where where two taboos came in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Religion being one and and uh you know, if uh what's the other taboo? Help me out here. Uh, oh, right. Uh, <laughs> this is funny. We were, we were talking about that um on our last one, I think, right? Yeah, and and you know one of the things we we said, and we weren't disagreeing about anything, but but um, one of the things we said was um, that uh, it's okay to disagree with people in big philosophical areas. Yeah, that's not a problem. And and if you can disagree and and step apart respectfully and say, well, that's fine. We're we're going to do that disagreement, and but it. It shouldn't affect a friendship, and if it does, if all you want to do is hang out with like-minded people, it's going to be a pretty, pretty sorry group. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. I, I think that puts us into a, a pickle where we actually don't um, broaden our minds and see a different perspective on things. Well, I've heard in the on the business side, you know, and it was my guitar teacher that enlightened me to this. But if if all you do is have a a whole bunch of people within an organization or two partners that are both extremely detail oriented mm -hmm. then the big picture is going to be lost right you, you you need the balance and the perspective of the detail and the big picture to really be successful right yeah i think that you need more than just um uh yeah just the the core skills and it's funny that our, our whole I guess you know what's interesting about our podcast. It, it's a good uh, timestamp of where we are and what we're thinking about. And so, as we look back in time and we reflect back on our our podcast, it'll be a, a, a good barometer of what was coming to mind. And it seems like all of the stuff we're talking about now about work-life balance and career versus uh, work itself um, is where we are at this moment in, in uh, March 2016 with Seize the Day. <laughs> and that's the beauty of the conversation. 
And that's what's exciting. You just said it right, hit the nail right on the head, leading into our, our fourth topic about beauty. <laughs> that's the beauty, brother. And I was talking to Jim earlier before we started this podcast about um, the purpose of creating beauty just for the heck of creating beauty. You know, and I, I was at the, the International Car Show in Vancouver recently, and um, I saw this uh, Acura NSX 2017 model, and I was talking to the dealership uh, a fellow, and he was saying, yeah, we have uh, 50 of them um, designated for Canada, one for every dealer in Canada, and they're all being pre-sold. And uh, I said, well, how much does this one cost? And he goes, well, it's about 248000 and the starting price of the ones that are base are about 190 or so. I said, gee, well, in that case, I might as well take two. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that, you know, if you want to pre-order for 2018, you know, this is a good time to get started. And I thought, well, let's take a look at a couple options at the auto show here. We've got an $800,000 Rolls Royce. And then we've got the, the Porsche over there the Lamborghini in the corner and the Ferrari over there. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to do a little bit of comparison shopping. I'm in a different avenue now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I may, I may put an order in for two. I haven't checked my Lotto Max ticket yet, but, uh, you know, <laughs> if there's some success there, you never know. <laughs> exactly. And the, the beautiful part of this is that I started thinking on a bigger scheme that the designers of these cars... They obviously didn't design it for the average Joe. They designed it for the average Joe to love that car. They didn't design it necessarily to target that demographic or that market. So I still appreciate the fact that they give you something to aspire to though, right? Because if we didn't create any you know, further beauty, there'd be nothing to aspire to. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's kind of takes us back to, you know, what I said earlier about the the person who fulfills the role of work and a provider but steps outside on their own time and is a musician or an artist or and they're they're creating their beauty exactly in, yeah in a in an acceptable form of balance for them right i mean they may be just a workhorse during the day doing whatever odds and ends they need to do to make a living and then thereafter on their after hours, they're actually making their Picassos afterwards, you know? Yeah, and and sometimes those things lead somewhere and sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. But if the joy is there and they're creating yeah. beauty, hey, so be it, right? Yeah, and uh, we were uh, had a little bit of vacation recently and, and we were in Calgary and we um, went to a Harry Manx concert. He's oh. a pretty, pretty interesting uh, musician, he you know he's kind of a slide guitar player, and uh, he's got this really wild um, guitar that's twenty strings, and it's got a real Indian sound. It's from India, and he's studied with the guy who built these guitars for five years. He's he's got a really unique life. He he spent um, you know he he was born in the Isle of Man, grew up in Canada, spent time in Europe, obviously spent time in India, spent time in Brazil. And now he's based out of Salt Spring Island, right? And you know he, he's quite a musician. He 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 does some cover stuff that he he does, arranges much differently than what the the originator of the song or the writer of the song did. And, but it is very very interesting, very pleasurable. He had three other musicians with him, all of really high quality. We super enjoyed the show, mm. 
And he was telling this story about, um, you know, going to Salt Spring Island and he was in this cafe and, and he had this 20 string instrument and, and he said, do you mind if I play this in the cafe? And the, the lady who owned the cafe said, yeah, not at all, but you got to set up your own PA. So uh -huh. he's, he's playing away, doing his art. He said, I just totally lost track of, you know, where I was. I was just, you know, in tune with my art or in, with my music. And, and he looked up and by then there was about a hundred people standing around you know, listening and watching him do what he does and all that sort of stuff. And he thought, wow, that's pretty good. So he said to the lady uh, who owned the cafe, do you mind if I come back tonight and do this? And she says, no problem. I'll set up your PA for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he was just out there, you know, creating his art and obviously got a gig out of it. And I think it's maybe led him further along because, you know, he returned to base himself back out of Canada from a whole bunch of travels. And he'd had a whole bunch of experiences in life that clearly, you know, gave him skill, mm -hmm. but I don't know how much means it gave him, but he was pretty happy. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You, you put your nose to the grindstone and you're working on your beauty, creating your beauty. And it's amazing what kind of crowd you'll draw. I was even thinking about that when I was driving in my neighborhood and, um, you know, every year there's a couple of uh, homeowners where you'll you'll drive by and you'll see these immaculate gardens that they create outside their home, you know? Same neighborhood, just the care and attention they place in creating that beauty. And at first you might think it's just pride of ownership, but sometimes I see people, you know, that maybe maybe they're retired or maybe they're not, but they'll be spending like an inordinate amount of time to... Um, to uh, landscape their garden, color coded, like basically, you know, carefully place uh, the flowers that they put in in a certain order. And I, there's one owner down the street, and they every year it's almost like you're walking through the Van Dusen Gardens or something, you know. And um, I I just look at that and I thought, wow, that'd be a great place to play golf because <laughs> they they basically landscape their garden to the point where you even drive by and slow down just to take a look and see what they've done. Yeah, gardening is a passion for them. Right. Right, so, so that's a way they can create balance in their life by fulfilling a passion. And they're creating beauty for the sake of creating beauty. For yeah, themselves. exactly. It brings them joy, you know. Big time. And they probably don't even realize what impact they're having on other people. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right there. They have no idea of what um, sort of art they're putting out in the world. Mm-hmm. What an interesting um, range of topics we've had. Well, you know, it's funny when we, when Jim and I do these um, uh, podcasts and we look back and we play them back for ourselves, we never knew where it was going to go. We're, we're always our own worst critics, but we seem to be pretty good about supporting ourselves here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the most interesting thing is that, uh, you know, a fork in the road comes up and, and we can explore where that goes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even this wasn't scripted. I'm just thinking about uh, beginnings and endings. Um, you know, lots of times I start to think about, you know, how you, like, let's say you're watching a movie and it's so good that you really don't want it to end. You want to keep going through the protagonist and antagonist uh, uh, scenarios. You want to live it through the, the character's eyes for a little longer. And then at the end of the movie, you're thinking, man, that was such a great experience. I either got to relive it again by watching this movie again or I got to move on and just hold on to that um, experience. You know, lately, Jim, I've been thinking, you know, 
as much as I enjoy certain experiences and I had a, like, let's say, a, for example, Game of Thrones. I'm sure that's a popular thing out there. I've been watching that for a little bit. New season starts later in April. And I started thinking, as I'm walking in the Costco or Best Buy, I'm looking at the box set and I thought, wow, it'd be so good to relive that again and, and watch the whole season five again. But then I think about how many hours it takes to watch season five. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm starting to weigh out my time a little more carefully. I wouldn't have done that as much in my younger years, but as I get older, I'm getting a little bit more selfish with my time. Like, if you and I only had 24 hours to spend together, we probably wouldn't wa waste it watching Game of Thrones again, not because it's not a good show, but because think of all the fishing we could do or or, <laughs> or something that, that could be um, more impactful in the long-term aspect of our lives. And it's okay to experience it once, but you have to really look at time carefully to see if it's worth experiencing twice. Uh, sometimes some things have a rainy day pursuit. There's not a whole lot of other things to do on a real rainy day. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you just put those back in the bank, right? Right. <laughs> I hear you. Um, yeah. Uh, firstly, if we watched Game of Thrones together, it would be my first experience of watching it. <laughs> so at least it wouldn't be totally wasted. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're right. I think we could find, uh, some more interesting things to do. Yeah, it, it, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes like a certain experiences, like we can choose to relive the same one because it was so good, but there's also times when we have to accept it for what it was and the, the great time it was and then move on to the next new experiences. Because I look at my, um, my uh, DVD and, and Blu-ray shelf here and uh, there's so many movies that if I were to watch every one of them again, I'd probably be 60 before I'm finished. <laughs> <laughs> but so, they're a library. Yeah, yeah, definitely a library. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's just like books on the shelves that you'll buy because you like the intention of the book, but you don't necessarily need to, to read them all. It's just uh, somehow the process of having it there makes me feel smarter even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know, I can't say I've, I've stepped, you know, I've watched uh, some movies I like to watch once a year. Yeah. Um, and and uh, we'll go see the same musician mm -hmm. you know every couple of years because mm -hmm. we really enjoy what they put out right uh, but I can't say I've delved back into rereading a book which I think it you know come retirement because the book has certain redeeming qualities to it that that may occur right right so I'm, I'm, I'm if if a, if a book has really impacted me it stays in our house if it if it's a good read but hasn't really impacted me, mm -hmm. goes to the book used bookstore so I can get something else to bring home. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. That makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> so, you know, it's all about experiences. And um, what I was thinking is that, you know, like uh, there's a couple of movies that I really enjoyed this year. Um, you know, like Deadpool was a great one with Ryan Reynolds. Um, you know, and there's been quite a few other movies. But then I started thinking like as much as I enjoyed that experience, uh, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to relive it by watching it uh, with them because they hadn't seen it. And I thought, well, at first I thought, yeah, sure, I'll roll along with it. Like you said, if it was a rainy day pursuit, I had nothing else to do, sure, why not relive that, right? But um, that particular evening I started thinking maybe I'll spend it doing something else. And um, having already experienced it, it was kind of enough, like the, the first time was enough, you know? And the second time would have to be in the circumstance where either I had a lot of time to relive it or enough time had lapsed um, or, um, 
if it it triggered something in me that I wanted to rewatch it to get some more life or humor out of it or something, you know? Yeah, I think sometimes to rewatch something with someone who hasn't seen it mm -hmm. could be detrimental to them because you're you you know when everything's showing up for the most part. Yeah. It'd be very easy to sort of do the commentary too, like, ooh, watch for this part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like this. This is good coming up. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because uh, it brings to mind when I went to, to Disneyland. Uh, and uh, last year we went twice and uh, we had a season pass. And um, and uh, at first I was hesitant to go on the California Screaming Roller Coaster because it's got a couple loops in it, right? And then I went on it the first time and boy, was that a thrill because like you don't know what you're going to see when you're going upside down in that loop. But then after you, you go on it the second time and the third time and the fourth time, <laughs> the fifth time you start anticipating it, right? Yeah. And then you just know how to adjust for it and now your body's accustomed to it and then you just kind of, you start banking on the corner before the thing actually starts banking. <laughs> well, you know, the same can be said, I, and I, I never gained any high, high level of doing this, but... The same can be said for mogul skiing. Right. You, 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 you know, if you've ever watched the, um, you know, the Olympics when the, that's on, the guys have that take the run have a pretty defined line that they ski. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're, if you're out there in a, you know, in a less, in a more natural terrain, you may ski the same run three or four or five times in a row to find that line and then once you find it you may want to ski it again to to do better at it. Mm -hmm. So you know there there is that benefit in in repeating something. Right, right. To get balance and beauty in how you do it. Yeah. No, I mean it's funny. Uh this is one of those interesting segues that we kind of had here and and I'm I'm just thinking about you know how how neat it is to just go through this process and then uh um, I, I love when we, we set a schedule for something, but we always go off the, the lines a little bit. And sometimes, sometimes coloring outside the lines is the most exciting part of uh, coloring, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Yeah, bud. So I think we've had a pretty good talk today. We've covered a number of key topics, and uh, I think we're getting into our groove. So if there's anybody out there that wants to hire us for the radio station, feel free to get in contact with us. They've got their contact number on there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're open to all offers. Yeah, we're, we're happy to do the banter for you with a little bit of corporate sponsorship, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll certainly entertain anything presented. Yeah, definitely. So thanks for joining us for another episode of Seize the Day with Jim and Winston. This is episode six. We're halfway through the year of our, uh, of our podcast, Jim. It's been a pleasure talking to you as usual. Yes, Winston, you too. And just to those who do listen to us... Uh, have a safe, enjoyable next month before we we have the chance to get together again. Yeah, happy Easter to everyone out there listening during the weekend. And uh, for all our new listeners, feel free to join us and we'll be back again next month and come up with another range of exciting topics to share with you. And uh, and uh, we'll call it adios for now, eh, Jim? Vio Candias. <laughs> I love it, brother. Okay, take care. We'll chat with you soon. You bet. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye.